are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and on corporate media. I'm your host, Asha. Today, we have Booker Ngesa from Kenya. He is running to be a member of the parliament from the Communist Party. Did I get that right? Yes, and uh, I am the national vice chairperson of the Communist Kenya, of the Communist Party of Kenya. Okay, well, um, yeah, I'm part of the CPUSA, so I was very surprised to see news reports to see that you were, you guys were doing very well. And so what is causing this new energy? Maybe this is not uh, something unprecedented. Uh, there is a lot of organization that has uh, been going on. And um, it's not the first time in the history of our struggle that communists are involved. In fact, if I could tell you is that uh, the Communist Party of Kenya is only advancing a struggle that has been going on since uh, what we call the sham independence. And for a long time, um, we have been operating as communist underground or uh, what we call covertly it's only after the 2010 constitution that uh, the Communist Party of Kenya uh, got that legal bearing to be registrable within the Kenyans, within the Kenyan um, you know, territory and operate overtly and even to participate in the election. I'm saying it will interest you to know that before we called ourselves the Communist Party of Kenya, we used to operate at least legally within the Social Democratic Party of Kenya. So, uh, so we were never reformists. We were not uh, social democrats. But that was you, the only well, way. Well, Lenin called himself the Russian. I mean, the Bolsheviks called themselves the Russian Social Democratic Party and Labour Party. <laughs> yes, um, they, our historical moments were quite different. Uh, of course. Um, so you talk about the sham independence. Is that the one from? Britain or like what is the sham independence? When I talk about sham independence is that um, uh, in 1963, when we receive our independence, uh, we did not fight it to the logical conclusion because um, uh, after the Imperial Britain realized that they were losing the war against um, the land defense force, that is popularly known as the Mau Mau, mm -hmm. they decided to negotiate the mm -hmm. independence. And uh, that came to the Manchester constitution. But the realities is, of the- Wait, wait, wait hold on. So, so basically the Manchester constitution was a constitution that was negotiated with Britain and not written 100% by Kenyans. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, okay, so what did it say or what did it contain that was um, anti-sovereign? Maybe if I could give you a brief history about it, Please. it could help uh, understand because the Manchester Constitution was really a neo-colonial constitution. And um, in the struggle for independence, there were two stratas of the people that were fighting for independence. There were the privileged nationalists that actually owned land so they were much uh, ready to negotiate with the colonial Britain because to them, they saw the privileged positions that were held by the white minority rule at that time, and they admired them. So the nationalists, especially on the reactionary side, 
were only looking forward to sit on the same positions of privileges and they did not have the struggle of land. But there was also another faction that was being led by the field marshal, Dedan Kimathi, who we call our father and our hero of independence. He was leading the peasants and the landlords, and he was leading an armed struggle. And to them, liberation means land. And they wanted, uh, it was a fight for land, and they were not going to negotiate with the Imperial Britain, because um, if they negotiate with them, then they will not have land. So you either give us land and you leave our country. But the nationalists but that were being led by the founding father, I don't like to call him the founding father because he <laughs> um, was a sellout. Uh, that's Jomo Kenyatta negotiated out an independence to restore and to protect the right to land by the, colon the colonial forces. And also, uh, um, you know, people make a joke about it, but it is true that they even gave him a wife in return to, <laughs> you know, protect the colonial Britain to have land in our country. So in that so way, in that way, you realize that the real progressives that were fighting for independence were actually killed before the sham independence. So Dedan Kimati was hanged in prison and the peasants lost their you know, the iconic leader. And then the British now started to divide the national liberation forces between the people who were able to negotiate that were led by Jomo Kenyatta and the people who were not willing to negotiate that were led by Jaramo Yoginga Odinga at that time. So that ended up to a neo-colonial constitution called the Manchester Constitution, which was not really uh, about sovereignty, but protecting certain British interests. Okay, that's typical. I mean, they do that all over the world, like India, Pakistan, Iran, like, like um, and so under the Manchester Constitution, was Kenya forced to take out an IMF loan? Was there austerity? Was there certain privatization measures? The Manchester Constitution's main interest was to align the Kenyan economy to be part of the colonial economy. That means to be an appendage of the British economic system. Basically to suck out raw material and for cheap, right? Yes. Uh, first of all, it was issue of land. That the people, the white people that owned land, the white minority, mm -hmm. uh, if they were to leave, then the Kenyan people got to compensate them for that land that they took for free. Oh my you know, God. So they, uh, <laughs> so they actually got paid for it to leave. The second um, condition was that the people who had remained in the country had right to those tracts of land. And um, there was, um, you know, no way in which the, the land would be returned to the tillers or the people who needed the land most at that time. Um, it was also to preserve the British foreign interest in our countries in terms of extractive uh, sector and not just extractive se sector. Kenya was uh, a very strategic, um, you know, supplier of uh, cash crops to Britain. You know, they turned our economy upside down. Oh so, yeah, they do that. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 they, they do that. Like they turn every, I actually wrote an article about this called Ghosts of Colonial Past, 
I'll send it to you after. But I mentioned how they turned India into a tea plantation and then they turned Indonesia into a jute plantation. And maybe the British didn't, the Dutch did, but it doesn't even matter. But like, yeah. And then Jamaica became like a sugar uh, plantation. So, yeah, they turned every colony into like a fat farm factory, right? Yes, the, the idea was to make Kenya a chief exporter of raw materials and to mm-hmm. derail the country from pursuing industrialization process and in return also open the Kenya for a market mainly of substandard and secondhand goods. And in that way, then we, we will remain, the, you know, continuously colonized. They also continuously, like keep people very poor and yeah. <laughs> yes, because, uh, and, and even there was military arrangement because um, uh, after the independence, the negotiation independence, the British uh, soldiers remained on our line. And, and, and what was the purpose of the, 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 the now we, the unpopular British soldiers, uh, we call them Batuk here Batuk. in K- that sounds like a bad word in Hindi, so uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, they, they occupy the Nanyuki side, but the main, they were retained here for mainly two interests. One of them was to protect the British foreign interest and British multinationals in our country. Mm-hmm. And the second one is that there were still remnants of um, after the hanging of Dedan Kimati, there were still remnants of radicals that were organizing in the forest. And the founding father at that time, Joe, feared that he could be overthrown. <laughs> so the British soldiers were to also protect him from being kicked out. From protecting him from democracy, essentially. <laughs> the yes. will of the people. Um. So how... Okay, so what was the struggle that led to the 2010 Constitution? We've had, uh, uh, we, we, we call it here in Kenya, we have the first, second, and now we're talking about the third liberation. Okay, so let's talk about the second liberation first. Now, when we talk about the second liberation, after we had uh, a dictator in our country that dominated us for 27 years, uh, with the support of the United States of America's of government and um, our former, uh, you know, colonizer, the Britain. <laughs> Not that they're, and, like, they're always, have you noticed that they're always together? Like, we have a joke that Janet and I call it, we call it, we call this alliance the fracas alliance, or there's a less pleasant sounding word, it's F-U-K-U-S, France, U-K-U-S, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. So they were able to prop uh, Moi dictatorship, uh, the late, uh, you know, dead dictator now. We hope we can try him posthumously. That is a dictator Moi uh, for 27 years. But after the, the success of removing Moi from power, the second liberation was about constitutional change mm-hmm. because... Um, there is only one part that um, we changed in the colonial Manchester constitution. Uh, of course, there were several amendments, but the most profound one was the one for introducing multi-party democracy in our country. Uh, before there wasn't? There wasn't. Uh, it was one party state led by 
Kanu at that time, which okay. was um, led by Moy. Okay, so it was literally that, a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, it um, was literally <laughs> We could even say that the national bourgeoisie were too weak, you know, to oppress their own people. So they had to form <laughs> alliances of oppression, uh, you know, with uh, with their, their the countries of the metropole to try and uh, you know uh, uh, drive their exploitation and oppression of the local people. But then after that, people realized that uh, no, it is not just about dictator now; it is about the colonial constitution. Because at that time, even the communists could not do overt work because there were anti, you know, seditious laws that uh, will have you exiled and imprisoned just because you are reading uh, uh, the manifesto of the communist party or something wow. like that. So uh, uh, the infamous uh, Nyayo torture chambers were known for, uh, you know, trying to extract and torture progressives to try and tell informations about the underground cells that were organizing at that time. So the second liberation was about constitutional change. And um, it started off in 2002 and um, only was realized eight years later. And many comrades martyred in the streets, you know, defending, uh, you know, their right to change the constitution the right to constitutional amendment. There were very high profile, you know, assassinations of the government at that time to, um, to try and derail that constitutional process. But it brought new life uh, to our country. In fact, now we say it is the most progressive constitution in, you know, the continent. Oh, because okay. even so- if we, yeah. Go ahead. Can you tell us like some of the rights? Because um, Americans definitely need a new constitution and they could learn. So what are some of the rights in the Kenyan uh, 2010 constitution that you're that makes it progressive? Yeah, for example, the right to the social rights. Are, the constitution is very strong on social rights and social justice mm-hmm. that each and every Kenya has a right to housing, even though the state, wow. you know, does not you know, want to look at that because they say they are not ready yet to implement that part of the constitution. Um, There is right to, you know, quality health care. There is right to dignified employment. So um, all the social rights and even the human rights section, um, uh, we used to have uh, the school police squads that uh, could kill people and uh, in poor neighborhoods and nothing will be done. Now, at least they will still do it, but they know that um, they will be held personally responsible, uh, you know, within the constitution. So that way we find um, the land issue, now it's about interpretation, but the land, the land issue is still also very, remember the British uh, multinationals and British um, uh, citizens that uh, had robbed the land here for free mm-hmm. were given land for 999 years. Mm-hmm. So now the constitution reduced that leasehold to 99 and even for 50, and they say land is for use. So basically the land, uh, uh, the land act is also very progressive. So Indeed, what happens? Then, uh, so- so if they're not using it, you can take it? Uh, now they're interpreting the constitution, the land section very, 
in a very capitalist manner because they're in a, the in a very what manner manner capitalist manner in a very capitalist manner because capitalist manner ah yes okay um how do judges get selected like uh, in Kenya um uh so th- because they're the ones who are interpreting the constitution like uh, do they have a length of term or are they judges for life who selects them and how they, are they confirmed and that is also a very progressive element of the constitution because now we have um the what we call the commission of judges which um uh which uh, sits to it is not a prerogative of the executive anymore to elect the judges mm-hmm. and they go under a very rigorous process uh, in terms of uh, uh passing through the parliamentary uh committee and then the legislation arm but all these progressive elements are diluted with bribes because um, if the executive or president kenyatta today want a law to pass in the legislation he will just call the members of parliament to a party and then try to bribe into them and tell them you know this is the way the country needs to go so even though they are very progressive in terms of judges remember the kenyan judiciary is very independent at least in the last two elections processes they have proved to be very independent because um, unprecedentedly the last year uh, last election actually we had the presidential candidate being nullified uh, the election victory of a sitting president uh, being why nullified, was it nullified? the election of president uru kenyatta was nullified by the supreme court oh. and um, and that to to it was a, it was an interesting turn of events especially from africa so um and then we have to we had to go for a, another election because um the supreme court declared the election null and void it was full of um, corruption and uh, inadequacies in processes and it could not meet the threshold of being called a free fair and open election so those are some of the elements within the 2010 constitution and of course for the communist party of kenya without it we will not exist we will be still be organizing um you know covertly so uh, it gave a new uh, life to us organizing in a more open ground okay um also okay can i um Oh, I just recently saw a news that there's like a really new nice uh train from uh, Nairobi to Mombasa um and can you talk a little bit about that and I guess uh, a lot of Americans have a lot of weird anti-China sentiments so uh can you talk a little bit about the train line and how that like actually improves like a uh, how that helps uh i mean the british didn't had had was just there was one highway right i think the 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 majority of the masses in the countries of the north are you know dangerously conditioned by the propaganda that is being manufactured oh, yes by the corporate media they are dangerously conditioned that's a very well said like I, I, okay we're going to have to cut barbara that cuz yes they are dangerously conditioned thank you for that okay 
so they even today if bbc or cnn will air something that buka is a zombie and they bring a scientist <laughs> you you can be sure how many uh, people will believe uh, that kind of lie so the 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 issue i'm trying to put across that the globe is being ruled by capitalist propaganda and it's a case of you know if you want to kill your dog at home you start giving him all sorts of bad names you know mm-hmm. this dog does this. but you already made up your mind you will kill the dog either way so mm-hmm. you try to build a case for it but having said that the um, uh, asia what i would like to say that we can criticize china but not from the cynical and racist lenses mm-hmm. that uh, the imperialist countries would like us to do it mm-hmm. and in fact the position of the communist party of kenya is that the world is safe in the in a metropolar world than a unipolar world that yes. is being dominated by you know an empire that is um, dreaming like every a- time of uh, being ruled by warmongers you know exactly uh, i mean americas we i can't remember when the last time we were not at war and in order to have such a warmongering uh, country like they have to completely change the educational system and then they have to uh yeah dangerously condition the population to respond like pavlov's dogs to every call of war with fear so you're absolutely right do you have any so advice the, so the china issue i i think we must um, look at it that china has given a new alternative for the countries of the south mm-hmm. in fact for our anti-imperialist struggles china is the beacon of um, our anti-imperialist struggle in fact um, we have seen them giving hope uh, you know to countries that are suffering from american sanctions and financial blockades so uh, to call china an imperialist country is rather reactionary for those people who want to do it because china is not arming local population to overthrow government in fact that in fact the chinese uh, government has uh, a policy of non interference the communist party would like them to interfere progressively but they even <laughs> though they will not because uh, you know they respect their policy of non interference so in in many ways they are also um, uh, dangerous i will say so ngos in in kenya and in africa that are uh, earning money and uh, you know laundering american taxpayers money the biggest victim is usaid to USAID. try and, uh, yes they USAID. are a united states are, are you talking about united states agency for international development and you're saying they're creating ngos yes they're creating ngos to try and turn people's thinking and uh, to condition the masses here and uh, to bribe you know they they're giving out money to try and sponsor you know silly programs in the in the in the you know in in with an excuse that they are um, pro development you know but in actual sense they are here to strengthen american hegemony ah um, okay and um well I, I've also interviewed somebody else who lives in Thailand who uh, Brian Bertelic he talks about the same issue about the NGOs in Thailand that like I don't know create random protests and just uh disorder uh, like and then there, like there was this one 
NGO in Myanmar where they basically they tried to remove this like dam out of fake environmental concerns. So is it the same kind of thing or what are these NGOs trying to do in Kenya? Uh, I think it was uh, uh, what they call uh, inactive war or what they call soft power. That mm -hmm. one way to dominate people is first of all is try to check them out of reality. For example, there are NGOs in my country that are talking about people getting out of poverty through free enterprising. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> That's yeah, not ever that happening. You, <laughs> that you can start your small business and you start selling apples and mangoes and within a, <laughs> a short time, you can be a big exporter of mango businesses. They try and bring certain um, success stories. Of course, most of them are fake mm -hmm. in the sense that they, they take people from the poor neighborhoods, bring oh. them into the national TV and tell them this person succeeded and he managed to get himself out of poverty by being a chess player. So you try and find something and work hard in that way. Oh, wow. Secondly, uh, uh, the National uh, Endowment for Democracy spends a lot of, oh my God, it's like over a few million. Okay, in Kenya, go ahead. Secondly, what's the second? Go ahead, sorry. And also to infiltrate culture and music and art. Mm -hmm. you know, when you capture the art and musical people and make them, you know, try to spread culture of consumerism, culture, mm -hmm. pop culture, or the, you know, uh, anti-progressive, and to try to make people hate themselves in a very mm -hmm. derogative way. Uh, that is how you manage to dominate people. So uh, we have uh, a lot of cultural centers here that are looking for talents to make them superstars, you know, to mm -hmm. make them uh, Hollywood stars, and to try and blow that out of proportion that indeed um, you can succeed as an individual and it was a question of what less they call it less state more business and, ah. oh, and uh, i have one more question yeah. other parts of africa have trouble with these extremely extreme uh, christian extremist uh, ngos that the u.s started do you have the same problem with ken in kenya with the extreme christian or christian extremist ngos yes in, in fact in most of the slum areas we call it here or poor neighborhoods you will find many evangelical extreme uh, evangelical and fundamentalist christian organizations but where they have done more damage is in the area of university education University education. Mm -hmm. You will find uh, there's some extreme uh, right-wing uh, organizations, mainly from the United States and uh, Pentecostal churches that are, have invested in um, education and universities. And they are using um, uh, those centers to take people out of reality. In fact, their philosophy, their philosophy department and teaching people idealism and metaphysics as the only philosophy and oh trying my to God. Use, yeah you know try to use philosophy to justify theology so in 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 that way we see they are determined to colonize people through capturing the education system so um what exactly is 
idealism and metaphysics? You know, um, first of all, uh, there are two hostile branches of philosophy that continue to dominate the world. Mm-hmm. One, um, one is on metaphysics and mm-hmm. other shades of idealism, because metaphysics itself is also idealism. Mm-hmm. And the other side where we are firmly is in the side of materialism, and mm-hmm. particularly dialectical and historical materialism. So, in any idea of the world, there are people who, who want to say that there is primacy of ideas over the material world. And that is what actually helps us to understand because uh, they want to say that the ideas came before the material world. So it is not your mouth that spoke the words. It is your word first and then the mouth. So they are turning the reality upside down. Ah. And and the idealist um, uh, is actually the philosophy that is used to justify the backward ideas of uh, theology and um, trying to create, um, you know, an illusion around the people that uh, there are things like wisdom that drop from, you know, above and um, uh, there are ideas that are inert in our heads. So they they look at the primacy of um, ideas over our material world. And that is very an unscientific way to look at the world. And if you look at the document you have referred to, which is uh, dialectical and historical materialism, and that was um, a summarized document by Stalin, it clearly uh, states that um, metaphysics on one side is um, a hostile uh, philosophy in the sense that it helps to take people out of reality and it tries to justify the Christian thought or the religious thought that um, things come like a straight jacket. There are things that like our God, they are never changing. They are the same today, tomorrow and every day. While in reality, things are changing and are being affected and affecting themselves in, um, you know, in a very profound way. So if you, you go to even deeper metaphysics, I think um, metaphysics um, was started off by, uh, in the classics by, by Plato and Plato was um, you know, an idealist. And then later on, it was advanced during the dictatorship of the church which uh, we call it in Europe, the dark, the 1,000 years of the dark <laughs> period. Yeah. And, and, you know, during the 1,000 years of the dark era, there are, the, you know, the, 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 dictatorship, the dictatorship of the Roman Catholic Church was against any scientific um, development. And philosophy was placed at the service of theology. And um, we have... Um, They call them thinkers, but I don't want to call them thinkers. People like Thomas Aquinas that were actually advancing philosophy to try and, um, you know, uh, maintain the hegemony of the dictatorship of the church at that time. And they misinterpreted several classic texts from the, uh, the classical philosophers of antiquity, mainly uh, Plato, Socrates and, um, of course, Aristotle to try and justify the theology at that time. 
So we could see that, um, uh, of course, um, Aquinas came up with those ways to try and prove the existence of God in, in trying to delve into metaphysics and try to tell us that, you know, since if we say that in scientific terms that um, uh, things are always in motion, there must have been something that put things in motion. And he said the concept of unmoved mover. And he said that could be God, but that could not be a direct uh, evidence of, um, you know, the existence of God. So what I'm trying to say is that in idealist side, where there is primacy of ideas, they try to, uh, you know, justify certain abstract notions and um, uh, like uh, God, soul, and all that kind of thing. And that has carried out with us now, even in the modern metaphysics, if you look at it, which the, the Catholic Church is a victim of it because they have created the, what you call the Catholic social thought to mm -hmm. try and uh, influence opinion. And now they are trying to they are trying to explain the essence of those abstract notions through philosophy. And, and, and that debate ended in the 18th century in the modern era. So mm -hmm. uh, we cannot put philosophy at the service of theology or religion. And that is basically what metaphysics is all about. The, the materialism actually started off from um, another uh, philosopher called Feuerbach. And Feuerbach was just about, he was criticizing the entire religion. In fact, the critique of religion and God, the, the notion of God actually ended in the 18th century mm -hmm. because reasonably you cannot justify it. But um, then we had um, the progress of the science of the mind that was already on a good trajectory because we had... Uh, uh, the ancient philosophers that were talking about allegory and logic, but the founder of the modern logic that was used by Karl Marx to interpret in history mm -hmm. the reality of the world was Hegelian dialectics. But mm -hmm. Hegel, uh, you know, turned reality upside down because he was um, an idealist. So he built a concept around the science of the mind, which was very, uh, you know, progressive but indeed tried to justify the absolutes, you know, uh, the what, and it is, uh, uh, even the moral equation has been really been interfered with because you realize that even in metaphysics, they talk about the natural moral law and uh, that silly things called syndesis that was given by Aquinas. And they tried to say that, you know, thou shall not steal. So what is the best moral question? To steal to protect life when you are starving or you should not steal to respect God, you know? So in, well, in many ways. And then proper stealing is also very vague because the notion of property has changed throughout uh, the, uh, every, even now. I mean, from like God, each, there's so many no notions of property that, to steal is like utterly meaningless. Yeah, so if, in fact, if you talk about theft, I think the people own the means of production are the victims. So, you know, they have accumulated the product of theft in many ways through appro appropriating, you know. Uh, okay. uh, Can you go back wrong. to explaining materialism because Americans don't understand this, so. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, if, if you look at the philosophical model of materialism, 
which is um, mainly um, centered on deductive investigations, which is quite <laughs> scientific. But to start from the primacy is material. So you start from the from the known to unknown. As opposed to the unknown to unknown that the dialectic and that the idealists do. The idealists are, you know, they start from the effects to the causes, but we're saying, why don't we start from the material essence? For example, when we're talking about materialism, we say matter is the primacy. And mm -hmm. even if we go to the primacy of matter, then we talk about the prime matter and the mm -hmm. form, we still say the prime matter is the primacy. But in metaphysics, they say the form is the primacy because they want to justify in the essence that if the act is the primacy in terms of, um, uh, in, in, instead of just saying primacy in the real world, they come up with clever terms. So they talk about metaphysical priority, you know. And this can be seen even in, um, in human rights. You know, they, they could say that um, even though the highest um, right is to preserve humanity and, you know, and right to life, mm -hmm. then they will say well, the right in, in the metaphysical priority, of course, is the right to, uh, to conscience and, uh, and worship. That's what they say. So they try to turn issues upside down. Now, on materialism, which uh, uh, we start from the material. So it is, it is the brain, you know, which is the, the gray matter that existed before the products of the brain, which are ideas. And it cannot be the other way around. So in the essence, when we move from there, then we view man and let us say human beings um, as a product of nature. Mm -hmm. Which we are. And not without nature. Because in metaphysics, we are brought into nature from above. But we are saying that we are products of nature mm -hmm. and we are past nature in material science, in, in, in materialism. So in effect, then materialism brings philosophy and mm -hmm. says that philosophy is the science of reality even though the metaphysicists want to accuse us of scientism or being a reductionist way of doing things to justify their hallucinations but in in, in essence um, now let us go to what we call the hierarchy of sciences mm -hmm. which is more important when we want to understand materialism okay so the first uh, if we talk about the material science, which was the, the uh, you know, the first science uh, that came to be, which was physics, because mm -hmm. metaphysics just beyond the physical sciences, mm -hmm. something that is beyond the natural world. Then you can ask the metaphysics, how did you know beyond the natural world, which while we have not even known, you know, natural world in its completeness, mm -hmm. but they will have answers for it. So, the hierarchy of sciences, then we move from physics, which deals with um, inanimate, you mm -hmm. know. Then from there, we go to uh, chemistry and then mm -hmm. biology, and then we go to human sciences. In Marxism, his interest was to use the knowledge from other sciences, which was in physics, 
in chemistry, in biology, in, astro in astronomy, um, uh, you know, and try to uh, then develop uh, the, to study the progress of human sciences in history. Mm -hmm. But that has already been done by sociology. So yeah, that's why we say Marx was a sociologist as well, in, mm -hmm. in essence. So how then do we understand the, from a material essence, the, the progress of humanity? So the metaphysics people states that we have to receive uh, some revelations from above to try and understand. And um, you don't even have a way to verify those revelations because they come like thunder. They come with respective, you don't know who, who revealed what. And if you challenge them, they get angry at you because they're not ready to debate about issues. Yes. But now we're saying that to understand the progress of humanity, we have to then study each epoch. And we are saying that for every man and woman, the first thing that they must sustain is that they have to get basic commodities like food, mm -hmm. shelter, and only that, that he can go to the next level producing other human beings to produce yeah. the first institution, which is a family. You know, so that is why we say that economy is the substructure. Without it, all other relations cannot emanate, whether it is family, whether it is politics, because man has to sustain his basic needs. And that means whether that society is slavery or neo-colonial or colonial or even imperialist or socialist, the first basic element of that society must produce the material, you know, basic, to sustain the life of mankind. So we are saying that is the substructures. Now all other relations then emanates from that economic arrangement. So in the view, yeah. Now, if you tell me that it is not the economy, but it is the political element, then you're trying to tell me that man became political before feeding himself. <laughs> That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. You know, so when we are going to now materialism is that we are, we, are, we, 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 we are creating the material life first. And then from there, all other relations emanates from the economic base or the economic substructure. And then now we have to study the first social organization of man, mm -hmm. which is family. And that has been written quite a bit by Friedrich Engels on the mm -hmm. origin of um, family, yeah. uh, the origin of private property, family, and the state. And, you know, the metaphysicists want to tell us that family was given to us uh, by, you know, by God. And uh, in that no, way. But family keeps changing based on each era, like a thousand years ago we had different ideas of family and technology has rapidly changed the idea of family for now. You know what I mean? Yes, of course. But then they want to tell you, no, 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 wait a minute. 
family is has not it's it's they look at family you know in metaphysics everything is static they come mm-hmm. like they come like a straight jacket that fits you once you put it on you don't have the right to think through how things are changing so um that's so when the when when the economic arrangement then takes place then there are relationships that starts to build which is very key to understand the trajectory of um progress of humanity through dialectical and historical analysis that now what was the first family in the essence that family that sustained itself only in nature mm-hmm. and then produce other human beings within nature mm-hmm. where they, we had um, people uh, you know we had wives and husbands in common and in that way the relationship started and everything else that we have progressed even the clothes we are putting on was to to be able to safeguard man from you know high um uh, uh, the harsh weather conditions it was never that man woke up one morning and fell ashamed looking at himself mm-hmm. and then tried to look clothes to cover his nakedness like the biblical story wants to tell us mm-hmm. so in that way then we see the relationship starting to form advice from them uh from the base if you look at from the african trajectory mm-hmm. then we see that the 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 wealth now starts to uh, be specialized because women used to manage the granary and they used mm-hmm. to do gathering and bring them to the granaries so they set guard the wealth mm-hmm. and that brings matriarchy in the sense that i own the wealth so mm-hmm. then in that way the first relationship we had in matriarchy was then that we can have as many husbands as we have because we have a social power in the granary to mm-hmm. dominate the male gender so mm-hmm. that was matriarchy but again the men were in the field they learned how to domesticate animals mm-hmm. they learn how to plant things so we can see the social power is moving from the granary where the woman was the prefect of the private property and now it is going to domestication of animals now the wealth is being counted of a number of animals you have we can see the wealth is counted from how much land you are put into production and in that way we see children now are tilling land to produce more surplus for the man and the wealth is leaving the woman to become the man and the man is saying to hell with matriarchy and making even the woman the property now in that chain including children and all other wealth and we see polygamy being born from another social relations and a woman become the property of the man and then man starts to organize to protect himself from his own children and the wife through the clan arrangement with other men ah. so in that way we see again another clan coming within the african setup in a very profound way from economic domination where children and wives are now slaves of the man because the man has material value 
And we see man is trying to form a rudimentary government with his fellow men to try and protect themselves from the majority, which are women and children in that case. Mm. So we are seeing social relations are taking place and governments are starting to form in a very preliminary setting. So in that way, then we see the interruption of that development in the African setup by the arrival of the colonial people. When the colonial people arrived, African people did not have the slave, they did not have the police, they did not have an organized government, everything else was run by the clan. And within that clan, uh, you know, the attacks, the intertribal attacks was meant to just, pro, you know, to expand territory and do that kind of thing. But the colonial government now come and start to interfere with that development that still emanates from the economic base. Because every time the metaphysicists approach us, they want to say that we have reduced the whole concept of man to the material and economic, and we have forgotten the moral element of it. But they do not know that even the moral constructions are taking place between the economic relations that emanate from the production forces. So in that way, we see our reality reflects in a very historical and cyclic manner. And that is why then we are saying that what Karl Marx did was to put, you know, dialecticals, the thinking of Hegel, and then bring in materialism of Feuerbach and put it in history to come up with a coherent science of liberation of the proletariat, which the, in, in, in African concept, we say is the science of the liberation, of the, uh, the, the liberation of the oppressed people. And that is why we don't feel, we are not ashamed when the ruling class hate the science that threatens their positions of privileges because it is a hostile philosophy that they need to be scared. So if, if they don't uptake it, then we say the Communist Party of Kenya should focus on the oppressed stratas because those are the people who will consume our ideas. But then if you come to now the colonial, uh, the development of the Kenyan state, because it is important, and I think if, if, even in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the United States, if they, they, they go into history as a colony of the Britain in, in, in that sense, then they realize that the people, the, the colonizing power only had power because they subjugated the economic relations and appropriated wealth from the local people and then alienated them from the basic or the fundamental instrument of production, which was land. So then the people are subjugated because they do not have a means of living. So they are meant to work, but still depend on the people who are in charge of the distribution of the wealth they did not produce. So the colonial economy in that sense, subjugating the people and then expropriating their, their, their resources to take them to the country of the metropole. So the queen has gold, but it does not dig gold. The queen mm -hmm. has... Um, you know, has the diamond. Uh, <laughs> One of her diamonds just, is called the Star of Africa, which she got it from South from the, the colonial yeah. mines in South Africa. <laughs> so in that way, you can see that when you understand, when you master Marxism, you can see the development of history and you can postulate the the advancement of history in mankind. So after the colonial people left us you know, reluctantly because they were beaten. Mm -hmm. uh, 
But you can see that they are careful when they're leaving. They are saying that if we tell these people that they can live of ideas, <laughs> again, that is an element of metaphysics. You can live off ideas and not on material reality. <laughs> so then we had the prosperity gospel, the missionaries that oh. are coming to tell people, now we want to create for you a world outside, <laughs> you know, the real world. So that if the, the more good you are to the colonizers or your government, the more respectful you are, you have a safer place in heaven. So please read the Bible and, uh, you know, respect the authority. And in that way, you will inherit the kingdom of God and you don't need to fight for basic things that are vanity in this world. But as they do that, to them, they are, uh, you know, living in abundance. They are... Um, uh, expropriating the local people. They are now, there is mushrooming of the churches in the continent to try and make sure that people get to be promised quite a bit. And um, I think when I was growing up, there was a very popular phrase that was used by the church that the poor, uh, you know, the poor, it's very easy for the poor people to go to heaven and the rich people, it will be like a camel passing through that's what, that's what Jesus said in the Bible is that it is harder for a rich man. It is easier for a camel uh, to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. But I was thinking about the Desmond Tutu saying where he said at first um, the white man had the Bible and we had the land. But then they gave us the Bible and took the land. <laughs> That's what basically happened. So that was a very famous uh, colonial teaching that, um, you know, we want to go and inherit some marchionettes in heaven and we should not be struggling for, uh, you know, vanity and uh, things of the earth. So in that way, you've seen idealism now being a metaphysics, being used to promise a people a false hope while the ruling class continue to do it. And then brings out the relationships, the social relationships that still emanate from the colonial economy in the sense that now we have the land owners, we have the factory owners that owns the means of production in the colonial government, and then they have an intermediary to prefect the rest of the population, which were majorly the national bourgeoisie at that time, Maybe we should not call them the national bourgeoisie because they were not involved in production. We could call them comprado bourgeoisie because they were brokers <laughs> yeah. of the colonial system in, in a sense. So if you if we if we look at that, what I'm trying to put through is that once once you study dialectical and historical materialism and understand it so deeply, then everybody else on the metaphysics turns the reality upside down in the yeah. sense that. It's 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 very it's 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 very pretty obvious when you have conversations with people that come from idealistic or metaphysics uh, tradition, and and you can see how brainwashed or you know how they are product of hallucinations, and they continue to even the analysis of the economy, they try uh, they 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 can turn it upside down because we are now put at the the vicious forces of the market. You know, yes. we are, uh, you know, we, 
And, and that is the idea of market fundamentalists, that there's nothing we can do. In fact, you remember Adam Smith telling us that Invisible when the economy is high, then there is the common good. <laughs> so you try to understand how comes when the profit is high, that means there's exploitation. But then on the other side, they're saying that the, 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 the common good, you, you cannot explain such a thing. So no, And it's funny because um, I was looking at... Okay, so I, I, I get some random people mail me history books all the time. And like these are top American universities and they're spouting out utter nonsense. Like I can't even explain. And it's like, oh, my God. And that's all idealism because they've literally inverted reality. And that's the same way the U.S. CNN works with their news. They literally invert reality. Like, I, I don't know how to, you explained it really well, like. But they can get away with inverting reality more in, say, the inside the imperial court than they can in Kenya, because real, like your material conditions, most people's material conditions are so it's below law. They're living like, in fact, in, in Kenya, people live like um, majority of the people live like animals. They don't have even the prerequisite conditions to allow them to think like human beings. They are constantly living in a war zone with nothing yeah. to eat, with they are spending more time thinking about their sick relatives than the, their, their own development because everything else has failed. But there is, um, you know, when we started off these conversations, you talked about democracy and you talk about collective will of the people, which um, there is also the concept of democracy from the metaphysical lenses and the concept of democracy from the materialist lenses, even though we look at democracy as the collective will of the people to determine their positions you know, on government and the system that rules them. But this collective will must also be looked at within the social relations from the economic perspective. And that brings the concept of power in the sense. For example, the whole thing is that the most powerful man on earth is the president of the United States. But then we have to look at how did he get that power? Because when the, the, we started off the origin of democracy, then we say that the power is from the people. Remember but during the Roman... <laughs> when we, no, no, actually, when we talk about the Roman Catholic Church dictatorship in the Europe, they talk about power is from above, and they use it to justify the monarch system as the descendants of Adam and Eve. Oh, and yeah. Given okay, okay, but the power. president... The United States, they say that it is from the people, but that's a lie because James Madison, who who wrote the Constitution, literally says the purpose of our government is is to protect those with property from those without. These are his exact words. And what you notice is that U.S. is beautiful at fulfilling that original uh, purpose, which is to protect those with property from those without. Correct. So if you're talking about the, the collective will of the people, we must also look at their material conditions to effectively then will, because there are things that we are all willing to do, but we can't do them because of our material conditions, our material, material realities. For example, in the Kenyan constitution, they talk about we have freedom to own land in, in every part of the country that we can. But if you don't have money, then that freedom is devoid of you. So it's useless. 
Yeah, they have to alien basically as Len, I mean Lenin mentioned this, you have to kind of alienate the big landowners and just like take the land from them and distribute it to people like otherwise like you can't you I mean everywhere where they've tried any kind of gradual reform, it doesn't work because they don't want to give up their power and they kind of just keep the so you literally have to use your power to alienate them from their land and say, Hey, it's going, we're going to be in charge. I mean, nothing else works. So the problem that if you cannot, if you continue to appropriate or expropriate the people, then you can, you actually consolidate another source of power. This mm -hmm. power is not yours. It's from the people, but you have only alienated it from them because once you take off or, you know, part of the surplus and keep it, then you are forming the social power, which is capital. So that that is not your power. That is that is taken from the people. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's why the, the the factory owner can say, "Oh, Booker, you know, I got power because I got money." But if you try to interrogate him, you know, where did you get land from? Then they say, "Oh, my father fought for it." Then you can probably say, "Okay, then we will fight for it because uh, you're saying he fought for it, but he he, he didn't fight for you know." 10,000 acreage of farm. But mm -hmm. the concept of power is something that metaphysics continues to, to advance in a very upside down way, in the sense that our powers come from, you know, the, the, the will for man to be dominated by, uh, to dominate this planet. One man, you know, has been given the power from above to do the same thing, you know, to sustain the peaceful environment for each and every person of us. But on the materialism side, we are saying that if people, you know, are able to make free decisions based on the product of their labor and for equitable distribution and to respect the common good, and then they will will in the sense that instead of saying that, you know, the, the proper democracy then will come that no rich person, like now you see in the United States, big lobby groups and corporates are influencing the American politics, mm -hmm. that they will not have undue advantage. Now in Kenya, if you look at it, Communist Party of Kenya is competing against what? We could say in, in, in very crude terms, it is competing against money. Because yes. if we go to do the campaigns, even though we say it's a democracy, but it's a bourgeois democracy. It's a democracy for the billionaires to elect, uh, you know, like Mark said, every so often, even if it's in five years, they try to elect somebody from the, uh, you know, from the oppressing class and uh, to dominate them. So in that way, I just wanted to also portray democracy from the metaphysics lenses and from materialism lenses. But in, in a nutshell, um, I think the future of philosophy, the future of man is anchored on dialectical and historical materialism because the future of mankind is science and not other. So even philosophy, uh, we see many philosophers can, cannot agree on what philosophy is because um, some people want to use philosophy to justify illusions. Some mm -hmm. people want to use philosophy as a science of reality. So the debate about metaphysics and um, materialism, um, at least for now, in progressive spaces, we have uh, put metaphysics to join the oxplow in the museums, but uh, <laughs> we are still struggling to bring it back to the debate. Um, the danger in third world is that since education, uh, the government education 
uh, is not determined by the people in government, but by foreign interests. So mm. you, you, you will find that if you go to um, private uh, institutions or colleges or universities or government institutions, they still try to talk about metaphysics as their philosophy. Ah. And it's not a question of either or. So in that way, then people, if you have a conversation with a student of philosophy, you could say you're straightforward, stupid, because you only are talking about, you know, one way of thinking of the world. And, 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 and anything that they're talking about, like, for example, in public universities and in mostly Catholic and Christian universities, you will find that everything about Marxism and dialectical and historical materialism is actually negative. So they will yes, say they exactly here. I mean, literally in America, but yeah. Don't want to be called a trot online and get ice axes in your replies? Please go to historically.substack.com. Support our show by subscribing. You can check out our newsletters and podcasts interviewing historians, journalists, and activists. Get a little left propaganda in your head to blot out the capitalist stuff. It's good for you. That's historically.substack.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Twitch with Late Nights with Lennon. Get commentary and trolling from 100 years ago by the absolute master of the forum and see how little has changed. It is what is to be done. For the third world, I guess a lot of times people are, but there is a limit on how negative you can go because your world, what you observe is. You can never say that if you work hard enough, you're going to become rich because that's never I mean, I've been to India and I know that's not going to happen because I see with my eyes. But I guess how do you then um, get through this level of miseducation in your context? Uh, for the Communist Party of Kenya, we have uh, an, uh, we have rolled out an elaborate program. We have an ideological school. Oh, and wow. That ideological school. Because we we have learned from the uh, from the time of independence that the colonial schooling was not going to liberate our people, and we know that the capitalist education system will not liberate uh, you know the Kenyan masses. And the Communist Party of Kenya has started um, you know are continuing with an elaborate ideological um, school. Well, where can we learn to, about this ideological school? Um, um, we have. Um, uh, I could send you a few links from our website. That would be great. But we have a um, we have a clear program on how to join the party. You cannot join the Communist Party of Kenya without passing through ideological training. It will be wow. impossible. And the first thing is we introduce you to the basics of um, dialectical and historical materialism. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is that we learn about its application and then contextualize it in our you know, national and uh, continental and international struggles. So it, it, it will take you, uh, for, for you to be a cadre in the Communist Party of Kenya, I think it will take you three, at least three years to be able to, you know, to graduate from the ideological school and start your continental and revolutionary tasks here. But oh, wow. it, is necess- it, is, it, is, it is very necessary for us because um, we learn from uh, people like Kamilka Cabral. You can see his portraits uh, behind me here. And then and there's Fidel have... Castro. 
Yes, that's a is a big beacon. He inspires our team purely. Yeah. So then we have Samora Michelle here. And you said Oh, I know Samora Michelle. They uh in the 1970s he was fighting against uh Rhodesia. Yes, uh, actually now it's uh, uh, now is Mozambique. Uh the and they, they of course at that time uh, the Rhodesia now is called Zimbabwe. But they say that if you're building a communist party of Kenya or any communist organizations, do not give leeway to fake members who do not understand, you know, deeply how things are in terms of uh, the future of the party. So it is it will be better to spend three years to educate the people mm-hmm. because after all, they take seven years in imperialist schools being, you know. <laughs> Yeah, turning their heads upside down and they pay for it, you know. You <laughs> That's a good washed. point. <laughs> yeah. So if they can spend seven years being brainwashed in uh, in the departments of social sciences and imperialist, um, I call them induction rooms, then taking three years to have a master of um, of the science of reality, which is electrical and historical materialism, should be you know a limited pain, especially if they are concerned about the liberation of the masses. So in, in a nutshell, what I would tell the American viewers that um, uh, it would be important to criticize things based on knowledge. Because um, sometimes when I meet um, uh, brothers and sisters from the Northern Hemisphere, they dismiss <laughs> communism without reading it. Yes. They say no, and, and and you can see in the American education system, they have silly links like how to prevent your child from being a communist, <laughs> and um, and to them, communism is is um, is bad from the start. It's just like they told us several here that um, any goods from China are fake before they arrive, and. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and you know it's just racism uh, definitely against the Chinese people, and 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 now that propaganda has been won. Now everybody in our country are looking for technology from China. They're saying we need the solar power, mm-hmm. we need the water, we need the electronic devices. They're talking about Chinese technology. Mm-hmm. And at any given time in the history of a development trajectory, there could be, um, I, I think. Even if um, you look during the when Europe was uh, when UK actually was the production center of the world uh, before the American technology actually developed, they were faking each and every time until they get it right. So it is not yeah. unprecedented um, that um, countries can do that. Even now in Africa, the big talk because um, I come from an engineering background, the big talk and the big fights we had with the multinational CIS technology transfer because we just don't want to be supplied goods. So we want a direct technology transfer from whoever is bringing that technology to the local people to build capacity. But they will never accept a certain thing because it is, um, they, they, they look at you as a, a market, you know, not yes. as a, a direct partner that which you can focus on development issues. So, uh, to rescue the masses from being conditioned by, you know, the lie factories like BBC or CNN, is to start an alternative um, uh, development of journalism and I try guess. to, yes, to try to 
have honest debates and tell people everything is uh, a subject of debate. And let us debate it from, um, from knowledge. Even if you hate communism, why don't you read it, understand it? Other than being totally brainwashed and you want to run your mouth about things you don't understand, which is sometimes very annoying. You need <laughs> yes. To... In, yes. So, um, so that's the, 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 the whole essence that I could encourage people, that people understand communism um, and they could learn a lot of history in the United States, even during the Cold War. When the communists were captured, um, they, they, there were certain experiments on how to get you know, information from the communists, but they could not succeed in any way because the, 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 the communists generally are not products that uh, they don't, they don't look at um, the progress of humanity from money or perspectives like that. So you could not give them or buy them money or torture them to sell their comrades because they understand clearly that the fight they are fighting is not just about an individual struggle. In Kenya here, several communists were arrested and uh, tortured and they never talked. So people say that instead of them saying how the capitalists are brainwashing the masses, they'd say, ah, the communists are brainwashing. The communists <laughs> like, you, yeah. know, you, 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 you see this war on terror where uh, the United States come up with all this propaganda and they start saying, ah, um, if that country is a dictator. Then they start saying, now he's killing his people. We need to get in. And then the next thing is, no, no, no. Now they are having even biological and chemical weapons. And now they're <laughs> starting a nuclear program. Now we cannot wait. They will kill other, you know. Yeah. So they're using, they're terrifying the American population and making the other people look as bad. And then they start to give economic sanctions and financial blockades. And then they try to triangulate the population of the liberated countries by, you know, enforcing uh, hunger upon them. Because uh, once you alienate them from the, the the financial capitalist system, then they cannot trade. And then mm -hmm. you start to punish their friends, you know. And then they say, now you see people are queuing for toilet papers. We need to rescue that population from a dictator. And then they try to splash such uh, propaganda in the in the in the international media, and they hire you know the journalists here in my country look forward to such uh, live factories like CNN, and they try to oh. pick the news, and they introduce the International Journalist Award. Means how uh, the the more you badmouth the American <laughs> so-called enemies then you can get certain awards and yeah in that way they, they are able to dominate the world but the most interesting thing is that this cannot continue for a long time because if you if you build something on an illusion um sometimes people ask me booker why are you fighting for communism is there any future in communism communism already lost you know no. you cannot and then i would tell them you know, it's if you are fighting on the side of truth, if you're fighting on the side of reality, those are things that can never lose. You know, they can have temporary defeats, just like communists had temporary defeats. But the future of communism is alive because during USSR, we had Moscow press in our country. We had um, Mengistu trying to spread communist propaganda here. Now they are non-existent. The young people are now coming to the party to say, 
No, we are looking for um, we are looking for solutions. And they're saying every time there is a communist leader, they don't sell us. They we are always um, they, they, they are good negotiators. Even sometimes if they don't vote them, but they go to consult them on issues. So they earn their respect because they are on the side of reality, on the side of the truth. And they are able to share their fears more honestly. So that is the future of humanity. We, we can have temporary defeats, but just like Lenin told us that there are some times in history that the events move quite, you know, yeah. quickly and they're changing every second, every hour. But there is a time in history that nothing really moves because, um, uh, you know, we are experiencing a temporary retrogression. But uh, for the progressive uh, organizations in the United States, I think there's also a lot to learn from Lenin and oh yes, Stalin in, yes. in the yes. and 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 these lessons has helped us a lot to come up with the policies to to lead the Communist Party of Kenya. For example, and this um, stopping deep from my heart is that. Most of the countries in the in the north, um, most of the organizations are victims of, of you know revisionism. Or, yes, or, 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 or okay. The first one is revisionism, and the second one is literally not uh, not even understanding the problem. So just kind of going there like a deer with headlights. You know what I mean? Yes. And- and that is a danger that any organization that is communist, but are only and their memberships are only drawn from the intelligentsia, the bourgeoisie, mm-hmm. intellectuals, the the petty bourgeoisie. They will always look at uh, uh, ways to preserve their positions of privileges, even if yes. they advance Marxism. Now that brings the issue of revisionism and opportunism in the essence. And that is why the Communist Party of Kenya, we have always said that we cannot allow our membership to be 70% non-working class, because at least we, we are sure that them, they see the exploitation that happens in, um, you know, in the social relations, in the production on a daily basis. Even though we have a, um, a still um, uh, non-backward elements within the bourgeoisie and the, and the petty bourgeoisie that through their commitment to reading theory have advanced their thinking in many ways, but still we respect that the working class are the biggest optic of our ideology and they are able to see the reality. So if the, the communist parties, the left-wing political parties in Europe or in the North America can develop such kind of policies, then um, they will be able to defeat revisionism and also perfecting their knowledge. Because um, uh, one time I think we were having a discussion with the party, how come that the revolution happened in the backward country called uh, you know, Russia at that time, when everybody later. was expecting, yeah, and China later, which were mainly peasants, and in fact China was a colonial, that they were suffering yeah. against the brutal, um, the biggest brutal um, imperialist, the, the Japanese imperialism at that time. But how come the Europe uh, did not experience, um, you know, a revolution at that time? There, there were debates about uh, the Rosa Luxemburg and, his, and her comrades that were trying to revise Marxism to fit social democracy. There were debates. Uh, if you look at the first international, 
which was uh, purely on the side of the workers. Then the second international that was um, about you imper- know imperialism, basically. Yes, in fact, they were supporting imperialist wars. The, and, um, the, the Westerners were yes. Yes, yeah. Then we have the third international that was being led by Comrade Lenin, and the fact that inspired. Uh, uh, we call him Uncle Ho, the leader of the Vietnamese Revolution, to become yes. revolutionary just because the national equation and the national liberation program that was clear within the Lenin's writings and, um, uh, you know, anti-colonial governments, that brought a lot of clarity. And, and what can progressives learn from that? Because people don't just fight for ideas. They <laughs> there has to... Uh, because even the biggest support base that we have in our country are people that we have been able to uh, join them to fight genuine wars about issues to do with their daily lives. And they have been able to win progresses and they become loyal and faithful to the party in many ways. For example, the landless that gets land will never leave the party. So that if you get a landed or a big landlord and you're trying to talk about uh, communism, he sees you as a threat to his positions of privileges. So it's just a useless debate because his material conditions only depends on him being a parasite on the tenor, depending on him being a parasite of the people who work. So you're wasting your time trying to organize uh, those sections of people. Yeah. Uh- so um yeah we're, when will we see um booker's collected <laughs> works out i should try to have it through there's a lot of work to do but i should try to write a few notes to publish but what i wanted to say is that the, the, the revolution has to have a call to win certain things for the masses because look at mao's call land to the tealers so that means the tealers get the land Mm-hmm. you know, bread for the people in Vietnam. So we have to win real material issues uh, for the masses. What is yours then, in Kenya right now? For us, we are very strong in the landless uh, areas. So you are at land for the people? Yes, land for the people. Like, you know, uh, and, and then the next thing that in the trade union movement, we are saying we, we don't want just a minimum wage. We need a living wage for the people. So in that way, <laughs> And, and then we are winning. Uh, if we go to a collective again for any 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 trade union, they will know when the communists are there. There is no bribes. There is no jobs. It's just uh, you know real business. Then we are able to win the people. In the peasant organization, you know we have an operation drive the brokers out, and um, uh, brokers are just people who come to buy farm products at almost nothing mm-hmm. and go to sell them. So we are driving up, like now where I'm doing my politics, it's uh, the uptake of my support is we are driving the brokers out. We want to build- How are you driving the brokers out? The building corporate, the driving brokers out is to make sure that every small farmer joins the cooperative. Ah, the and corporate, okay, 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 got it. It's kind of like a union for peasants. Yes. So if you want to buy tomatoes, you have to go to the you have to go to the cooperative. So you cannot go there and put a truck and then like in the olden days, you put a truck and you delay the process. So mm-hmm. as the farm products have to go back, then the prices start to drop. You buy for almost nothing and then take them to sell. So mm-hmm. in that way, 
if we are talking about they are they are in the in the, in the backward areas where we are organizing, we are winning we are winning real gains for the people. The the people who are uh, uh, the the communist rappers they are they are sim- they are they are rapping about basic issues. They're not they're not rapping about uh, communism. They're not rapping about direct materialism. They they are mocking the imperialist the the capitalist uh, politician who walk <laughs> around fattening themselves from the things they have stolen from the people. You know, they, they, they are singing about um, certain successes that they think Boka through the Communist Party of Kenya has been able to score in their communities. They are saying that we, they, they, they remain committed to the party because of the successes and we are willing to learn even within our circumstances. So the, 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 the power that helps to build the communist movement uh, from history and, uh, and, and uh, all over the world is that you, you need to start winning things for the masses. And you, they will trust you in the sense that you are always in solidarity with them. And also you share with them when, when you are weak or you share with them your fears, you share with them why you think you need to retreat a bit and then reorganize the population and go for an all-out offensive because you do not want to put your best soldiers, you know, as gun folders. You don't want to declare a war with no, you That's know. That's what Lenin no, wrote in What Is To Be Done about that because the their party every few months, like like it would build up and then the czarist police would go crack down on, the, on them and send them all to Siberia. And that's why he kind of had the party structure that way to protect people from these massive czarist crackdowns. <laughs> yes, and we have had such adventures also in our struggles in Kenya. 1982 coup led to a big crackdown of revolutionaries, you know, and that was a reactionary coup that was being taken by certain, uh, you know, people within the lower ranking army officials and some people call themselves revolutionaries that were actually angry to get power. They wanted, you know, we want power now. But then the, the end result is that the, 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 the whole um, underground organization that they had struggled to build for several years was crushed in under 18 months. And, wow. um, you know, in, in the comrades were hanged in Enmas and jailed and exiled. So, uh, after that, it took maybe another 10 years uh, in, until 1997 to recollect again another organization. So we had, um, we had an hiatus moment, if I may call it, for about 17 years of comrades trying to talk themselves to try and reconvene again. And when, the, when such a crackdown happens, the, the, the morale of the masses is also affected. Because now we were meant to liberate the people, but uh, I have lost my mama, I have lost my father, I have lost, you know. So it 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 it, it those the process of advancing the revolution. So um, I will I will only encourage that every time we make a revolutionary step, we take the interest of the the revolutionaries and the interest of the masses. And let us not do adventurous things. Let us try to understand and master Marxist and Leninist as a guide to science. And let us not learn by rote to try and experiment things to put the revolutionary forces in grave danger if there's no chances of success. 
and um, it, sometimes there is, um, especially on the young comrades, there's an over-enthusiasm. There is a rally call, there is sloganeering, I'm the masses now, we have to defeat the bourgeoisie, you know. But we have to go fundamentally that the, the subjective conditions of the revolution has to be there for a revolution to take place. In fact, Mao actually tells us that if an egg do not have, first of all, you have to have an egg with the internal conditions, then you will have a mm -hmm. chicken. Then you have external conditions, the warmth, then the head will, the egg will break into a chicken. But mm -hmm. now our country, we say the objective conditions of the revolutions are there. The objective conditions have been created by the, you know, the, the effects of capitalism. We have a mass unemployment. We have people dying of curable diseases. We have um, uh, the, the rich are burning money in consumerism, driving expensive cars. They are um, laundering the economy. People can see that. They are annoyed about it. But is it the time to call for an all-out attack on the bourgeoisie and the establishment? They, they, they have formed alliances with the imperialist uh, entities, and they are willing to crush anybody that tries to challenge their hegemony. So what then does Lenin tell us to do is that we must continue to build the subjective factors on the revolution and help the revolutionaries to organize both overtly and covertly mm -hmm. to challenge the system. And we must be able also to listen and take them, you know, when there is an insurrection in the country, we must be the first people to drive it from a civil war to a revolutionary war. But remember, at any given time, if revolutionaries are not organizing, in the United States, for example, you see the most militant, uh, you know, street protests that we see, the Black Lives Movement, we study it with a lot of care. But if you look at it, as long as they are advancing, but there is no vanguard party to direct it to become a revolutionary war. They well, go ahead. I, I've been thinking the same thing. They've been doing the same thing since 2014 and they haven't won an inch. And unfortunately, I think it's because they don't understand how the police and the state function. They just are looking at it from the 1960 dreams and saying, oh, in the 1960s, they protested a lot and got some concessions. And unfortunately, we're not in that year. So thing, the, I'll let you talk more about that. <laughs> tell, tell us what you think of your opinion of the Black Lives Matter movement in America. Yeah. What, what I think is that they have um, the Black Lives Matter, uh, I, uh, I see some similarities with some organizations also in Africa that are either fighting for, um, let us say they're saying anti-corruption movements here, but they, they are under the illusion that you can defeat racism under capitalism. You know, you can defeat corruption under capitalism. Actually, capitalism, the mother, the mother is actually the mother of racism is capitalism. The mother of corruption is capitalism. So you cannot, you cannot deal with the children when the mother is still bearing children. You know, you have to strangulate the mother first. So um, I, I think then the best way to interpret them from the dialectic side is to look at the, uh, the, Mao's, the Mao law of contradiction. Contradiction is a sense that the revolutionaries must be able to analyze 
the tertiary, the secondary, and the primary contradictions, and then resolve them in the order of priority. So if you take race, for example, as a primary contradiction, and you organize around race, then the, the, the primary contradictions, which is class, is left behind. So you cannot solve a race contradiction in, in the sense that it is a, is a, is a secondary contradiction to the primary contradiction. And sometimes it's even tertiary contradiction, depending on the stage of the struggle. Uh, if you come to my country, for example, where tribalism and ethnicity is, 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 is actually being spinned by the current political leaders, and they want to set not just uh, in, in now in the United States, it will be one race against the other. In my country, it's one ethnicity against the other. They, our political program, our propaganda should be able to inspire the masses in the sense that we bring them back to the contradiction that the in our country, the, 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 the small nationalities or the small tribes, they are actually the same, but there is a class element in each society that continue to auction them on a daily basis. They are, uh, you know, black sellouts like uh, that horrible man called Barack Obama. Oh, my who, God. <laughs> He's kind of, oh yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot that he, you know, his dad was from Kenya. Um, yeah, but yeah. So, he, you know, when you, you see, he, there was a lot of emotions when he was the president, you know, the, the black communities were crying and there were a lot of videos played about the, the Martin Luther King talking about the time for climbing the mountaintop. And, oh uh, people, and that's how propaganda works. And the next time you see Mr. and Mrs. Obama hanging around, uh, you know, kissing Bush and <laughs> Mrs. Bush. Yeah. Uh, you know, the people that their hands are full of blood, you know, innocent blood of the people. So without, um, because the first contradiction, especially in development of uh, a party, um, which I think Lenin clearly says on what is to be done is that um, when you come, when, when you are starting a party like the Communist Party of Kenya, when we were starting it, the primary, the primacy of theory is very important because it is the guide for action. So you cannot turn the, the, the again, now the, the law of opposites also tells us that the primacy of theory becomes secondary when theory takes ground. But now people want to say, no, 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 wait a minute. Maybe Lenin says that any practical revolutionary, you know, effort is much better than a thousand books. But remember, he's saying revolutionary literature, revolutionary effort, not each and every effort you put across. So uh, the revolutionary should be able to understand contradictions in building the party and contradictions in mass organizing. And that is the importance of um, ideological school to be able to equip revolutionaries with the science of the proletariat revolution. Like um, it is better to start three people. Like I think the Communist Party of Kenya, it started a conversation around people to make a clarity of thought of where we want to go. And then after that, then we have to take the second step. So from theory to practice, practice to theory, theory informs practice, practice informs theory, Theory enriches practice, practice enriches theory. But you cannot take 
you know, uh, some people say, let's be pragmatic, but they don't try to debunk what they're calling pragmatism because pro- pragmatism, basically, they want you to act without, you know, in, in knowledge. Acquiesce to the bourgeoisie, <laughs> basically. That's what pragmatism is code for. Yeah. So when I talk about such struggles, I saw some militancy, but sometimes I get really offended when I see maybe there's a police person talking to the black right, the black activist, and mm-hmm. then he's trying to talk to them in a very good way. And they're saying, you know, we are part of you. And you find the protesters will pick up the microphone and tell the police, you're very good to us. You're not like oh, the others. But they don't understand that this police is a system. It's a, it's part yes. of the oppressive system of the empire. Yes. And uh, however bad, however good, they are they they are prisoned to serve the the the, the, the hegemons, the warmongers in, in in Washington. So until they understand that, it can only be like Lenin will tell us: riots will be there. Governments will fall, but without a vanguard political party, without um, uh, revolutionaries, there will be no revolution. Mm-mm. Look at, um, I think when um, Egypt uh, uprising, what the but that was a fake one created by the state of, National Endowment for Democracy, the Tahrir Square, right? That was a coup. That was a color revolution. In fact, I was very angry to see in the streets, you know, they had... Um, they were, they were angry people, but then what happened is in the middle came the uh, color revolution people and just stole it. In fact, at that time when the Egypt, the so-called Egyptian revolution was happening, because it wasn't, I, uh, they used to, they, there were people calling it Facebook revolution. So there were people working <laughs> with Facebook chats. And um, there are a lot of American nationals I've never seen so much in, in Egypt there. We were wondering, what are they doing there? <laughs> then primarily, but there were certain lessons that we took there because we realized that even though the government of Hosni Bobarak fell mm-hmm. and the, the most organized will take power, whether that most organized is revolutionary or reactionary. So yes. that is why we landed into a theocracy, Muslim Brotherhood, because they were the most organized at that time but then so they had a coup against him and we get cc yeah so if we the, the the thing is that the revolutionaries must always prepare and study the movements within the working class and try to direct it and the idea is to organize daily for an alternative people's power away from the state because the, 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 the objective factors of the revolution, I can tell you in our country, with a country with 60% unemployment, what is there to celebrate about? With a country like in Kenya, we have a 70, 70% could be exaggerated if you're talking about perfect slum areas, but in the poor neighborhoods, uh, there are people living in polythene bags. About 40% of the population do not have running water. They do not have proper health care systems. They are dying of curable diseases. We can see the rich politicians are flying their loved ones out to seek for good medical health care. We see uh, people stealing money for cancer centers. And when they get cancer, they take the next flight to go to you know, to seek treatment from abroad. So uh, there is a lot for us to organize, but if we focus on only the objective factors and we don't come back, which I think is the biggest thing because it's the, it's the most important task. Um, and that also brings me to Cuba, you know, 
keep, keep people talk about uh, the bio, uh, the medicine progress. Mm-hmm. They speak about sports progress, but they don't talk about the project of creating a new human being. That's yeah. why people attend to themselves. They don't talk about you know the uh, the easy well, conversation. Yeah. You know what? It's kind of funny because Fidel Castro actually said that the reason why Che is special is because of capitalism. And we want to like if Cuba succeeds, every citizen of ours will be a Che Guevara. Um, That was very inspiring for me. And yeah, basically, you're right. Um, Yeah. And and. um you could see the typically now that you mentioned Che Guevara, the imperialist countries wanted to they, they they tried to. It's only Che that I think we have continued to consistently maintain his legacy and his revolutionary credentials. But normally, when the revolutionaries die, they want to canonize them and yeah. then dilute their revolutionary credentials and say that, um, you know, now we can have a foundation with their name. Look like, at what they're doing to, to Salvador Mandela. Allende. Yes, yeah, Salvador Allende, and uh, even in Africa, they talk about, ah, Thomas Sankara was a good oh, person. Oh, yes. To talk about his communist credential, Amilka Cabran was a good person. He loved his people. They want to make it only a flip, uh, you know, a lip service. Yes. So, um, if you look at your struggles in India, for example, nobody oh, talk about thing, you know. They, but at least there's a new hope in India. Uh, I talk with comrades from Kerala. You know, yeah, say, Kerala is the only state in India. The others are, um, you know, uh, just an appendage of the of the Western imperialism. And yeah, well, there. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Communist Party is coming along well and much better than it ever has to like oppose the fascism, I guess, but yeah. things are hard. <laughs> I, think, I think also uh, when you elect an extreme uh, right-wing uh, fundamentalist like Modi, uh, he brings new contradictions within the system. So exactly. Not, yeah, so uh, that could be uh, also good for us because, and then you talked about something very interesting, which was concessions because uh, the ruling class are willing to concede if there is a real threat for their falling. Um, and, 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 and they do it for a time. So if, if they realize that the Black Lives Matter movement is going to threaten the system stability, they could win some concession only for a while. And, and that is even clear in the factory unionism and economism advancement. If, if, if you really put more pressure, then you are sure you're going to go to that bargaining table and you're going to get a few things for the workers. But we should be, as revolutionaries, always know that we, we can win a few reforms within mm-hmm. the capitalist system, but in actual sense, we will not change the system within the capitalist system. We have to uh, uh, wage a political struggle. Another ideological question that... Um, uh, uh, probably we could talk about on that document in um, dialectics. Is people say that if you say that the and and this is very uh, sometimes very irritating because they say Booker, you are talking about economy as the substructure of the you are talking about the economy is the foundation, and then you are talking about all, all all other things 
you know, at the superstructure. Then they come and tell you, why don't we get economic power first? Then <laughs> That's because it's like a building. You can't just go in and hide in the basement first and hope that the landlords don't evict you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I asked them, you can only fight with what you have. You know, yes. the working class don't have money. If you And if you try to get money, they will use the same weapons to cash you. Exactly. So we must take what we can get, which is the political power, and then use the political power to expropriate the expropriators and then destroy the bourgeoisie arrangement and start building. You know, I like the saying from Karl Marx that the, the last capitalist we will hang is the one who sold us the rope. <laughs> I don't think he said it like they, if no one knows who said it, but that was that's a that's a very popular uh, retort. Um, so thank you. <laughs> so, what time is it uh, right over there? It's 15 minutes after midnight. Okay. Well, in that case, I won't keep you up much longer. Thank you so much. And is there a website or a Facebook page, Twitter, anything else that people can follow you on? Yes, we. the Communist Party of Kenya is, um, is on all social media, but we have a very proactive website, especially if you want to go through our party documents. You want to study some of the press releases that we have done? We are at communistpartyofkenya.org. Okay. So you can you can have a look, but then we have a very active uh, Twitter account that we use to break news, especially in organizing, and that is the communists ke. And um, there are all other social media platforms. We just check communist party of Kenya. Okay. As the all our party leadership also have social handles because we are trying to reach as much young people as possible. What, one quick question: um, the election is in August. Yes, um, we have a big event coming up on May fourth. We mm -hmm. uh, May fourteenth. You know, we did release the um, a small video of the rap music, and then it went viral. And we had not uh, we had planned to release the full video on May. 14th, uh -huh. when I will be launching my campaigns to August 9th. Okay, um, so, August 9th. And um, are there any, like, are people in Kenya automatically registered or do they have to register to vote or how does it work? Uh, just like any other capitalist system, make it complicated for the people to access it. So that means so they have to have register to, to vote. Yes. Uh, what's the deadline so for that? The, yeah, so the, the registration of voters is going on. The mass voter registration has just ended um, on the 6th, which was yesterday. And um, I think after, again, uh, three months, again, they will open the register for a few more days for us to open. Um, okay. but they, we got, we will say for the first time, we have real opportunities because of the amount of support we have gotten from the, the Kenyan masses and solidarity from people like you and uh, uh, progressives. So we have certain real chances of winning elections. But even having said that, we must know the limitations of the bourgeois elections. Yep. We are not here to say that we will save the Kenyan masses through uh, bourgeois democracy. No, it is only one uh, you know, way to conduct our propaganda and also yeah. 
during that time, the masses are uh, politically activated. So we cannot abandon the masses to only reactionary ideas. Exactly. But we don't we don't see bourgeois elections as the alpha and omega. We don't see them as the what we will uh, help us defeat the repressive system you know, that uh, is being led by the puppet government of the day now. No, we will participate in the bourgeois elections. And uh, for us, organize, organization-wise, it will be permanent, whether after elections or before elections. Elections is just an event for us. And once you're done with it, the organization, we will intensify with our new realities. Well, thank you very much for coming along. Um, I can't wait. It was amazing to have somebody so knowledgeable in theory and everything and have a wonderful night. I'm sorry we kept you so late. It was wonderful. No, and I'm also sorry, you know, we, we, my, my comms team was talking to you people on Twitter and then we had another interview that um, yeah. was with the Morningstar in, for Britain. Oh, and then, Morningstar, they're good. Um, they were live, right? Yeah. yeah, so we, I had to finish that and then come back to you. But that's not our, it was unplanned for. So I wasn't um, going to, to say that um, I'm not going to take an interview with you. No, we would like to have our ideas out there. And uh, by a one hour and a half delay was something uncalled for for us. We will plan better uh, next time to meet you. Please don't, don't oh, worry no, was, about that. It don't worry about it. it. We're, you know, it was just, it, it's fine. It, it happens often. Um, We're very accommodating, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have a good yeah. night then. And um, oh, how do you say, what is the greeting in Kenya that you're supposed is there a greeting that uh, people do like in india we do namaste like what what, what do we say in kenya ah uh, many times we just say jumbo jumbo yeah <laughs> music for this show is done by rectech you can find him on soundcloud and on spotify w-r-e-c-k-t-e-c-h and thank you for listening to our show.